Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. And now, it's time for... Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast. Hi, welcome to Inside Conan, colon, an important Hollywood podcast. I'm Mike Sweeney, writer on Conan, and you are... I'm Jesse Gaskell, another writer on Conan. He's got more than one writer. Exactly. And two of them are doing this podcast instead of working on the show. Yeah, which really, what is that these days anyway? Oh my God, yeah. A lot of Zoom calls about whether Trump's going to get (laughs) reelected. Right, and the heat wave and fires. That's basically what the Zooms are about. What people are putting in their cocktails these days. Right. (laughs) How have you been, Sween? I've been good, I've been good. There was a crazy, it was 111 degrees. Yeah. And now we have a squirrel, I think. In the ceiling above my office. Oh, my God. I'm assuming it came in during the heat wave. I have a lot of experience with animals. Right. Within the rafters of your home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any animal that's smart enough to sense air conditioning and seek it out, kind of loathe to get rid of them. Or her. Oh, yeah. I have a lot of squirrels, too. We have a pecan tree right next door to the house. So the it is pecan season. I never get to enjoy any of the pecans which are like a premium nut. Wait, so the squirrels eat them? Yeah, they eat them all before they can fall. So I never get any. Wow, I don't even know what a a pecan tree or how a pecan shows up on a tree. (laughs) Is it already canned or jarred or you have to... They're already um, honey roasted. No, they are just, it's like a green seed looking thing, but then you have to roast it and make it taste good. Oh, okay. Does the squirrel prepare it in different ways? or just... I don't know. Yeah, that, they might be in the tree like the Keebler elves <laughs> making their fudgies. <laughs> when did this podcast turn? We talk about wildlife more than... Hi, we're here to talk about Conan. But first, a squirrel update. That's what you people want to hear. No, we have a great interview today. We do, yeah. We have a great guest, Brian Posehn. Yeah, real comedy favorite. I mean, he's been in all of the best 
shows. Yes. <laughs> he's starred in uh, Mr. Show, the Sarah Silverman program. Yeah. He's the author of the Deadpool comics. Human Giant, he was a writer on. That's I mean, just right. Every cool comedy show the last 20 years. Yeah, basically. Everything with street cred. I love that he's worked in a lot of television shows as a writer and an actor. But then it's also, oh, yes, I also helped reboot this now iconic comic book series. And he also has a heavy metal band. Ugh, a true renaissance man. And he's also a really nice guy to talk to. So here's Brian Posse. Hello and w- welcome. It, we're very excited to have Brian Posehn on the show today. Hello, Brian. Hey, how's it going? Is that a pinball machine behind you? It sure is. Oh. Wow, what kind? A Deadpool by Stern. I actually wrote all the stuff that Deadpool yells at you while you play it. So, uh, Oh, awesome. I, I got a free game for doing it. That's great. Do you ever go to bars oh and stand near the game and tell people like, I noticed you kind of chuckled at that last line. <laughs> I have, yes. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, I'm excited to talk, if you are, about your experience writing Deadpool But you know what? Since this show is called Inside Conan, we always like to start off just with your relationship, you know, with the Conan show. The big guy? Yeah, the big guy. It can be with the big guy or with the show or... Tell us about your intimate relationship. I feel like I've told him this story, but um, I've never talked about it on the show. Yeah. But... I auditioned to be a writer there. Ah. Oh. I did not know that. I came straight from uh, John Stewart's, remember when he was a syndicated show, sure. the Paramount show? So first he had a show on MTV, right? And then he yes. had a syndicated show. and then it show. got syndicated. Okay. And I was hired as a writer. I moved out from L.A. Was still had an L.A. girlfriend, but was living in New York for a while. Okay. Lived there six months. The show got canceled. Yeah. And I'm on the roof with David Tell and a couple other writers there. Yeah. And my agent is back in New York, or back in L.A., and he calls me and says, hey, man, you got to get over to Conan now. And I thought it was so weird. I was like, you really want me to go audition for a writing job? Like, and I just lost this job, so I was kind of freaking out. And I'm getting high on the roof. Yeah. With a couple of the writers. Sure. When you <laughs> yes, said roof, it was understood. And, <laughs> we're getting high. And so now I go to this, uh, you know, I actually really want the job. And it's Marsh McCall is the head writer at the time. Right. And uh, Conan's sitting in there with an acoustic guitar. And it's the first time I've met Conan. And I think he's funny. And I know, you know, like we have people in common, but I don't think to tell him that. I'm high. I'm doing a bad job right. of like representing myself. And like they look at my writing samples and my writing samples are there. They're like, oh, you're really funny. And in the room, I was the opposite of funny. And it was just super awkward. Conan played the guitar. Oh, Conan no. played the guitar the well, whole time. Yeah, I was thrown by a couple of different things. Uh. Like, it just went awfully. <laughs> and then the only way I wound up on the Conan show was by doing stand-up comedy and right. then being asked to come. Uh. <laughs> the guitar playing is intimidating. The first... It was. It is. I was yeah. in a hallway. I was just doing the warm-up. I hadn't submitted yet to be a writer. And he just came up behind me and was playing the guitar while we were waiting for the elevator. Like waiting for the elevator isn't awkward enough. Now he's like serenading. It's such an alpha move. I know. Yeah. I honestly, like I went through my Rolodex of experiences. I was like, I don't think I've ever been in this experience. I didn't know how to react. So you had that experience. So you walked out of and there. And then I went back to LA and the John Stewart show had gone away. And then any opportunities in New York 
you know, my manager was like, well, if Conan happens, you can stay there, but otherwise come back. Right. And then right around then was when uh, Mr. Show geared up for like, I think we had already done, those guys had done season one or without me. I wasn't a writer. I was an actor on it. But then right around then was when we did uh, season two and I was hired as an as a writer. And Oh, great. That's a great happy ending. Yeah. I was still able to write comedy. Right. But- and you didn't have to be worried about being thrown in a room with those two for the writing gigs since you'd already been on the show. And so so you worked on uh, Mr. Show for the, the rest of the run, which must have been great. And then when, after that, you first did stand-up on Conan, or I think 2000, right? Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, I've done it, God, I think it feels like at least 20 at this time, but yeah. I don't know the exact numbers of how many times I did it. But wow. It felt like every year for a while there, and or sometimes multiple times in a year. Right. It was always about when I had you know material that was always the the thing, and or something to promote, or right. You know, of course, I felt like I was one of the people that they would ask. Uh, you know, even if I didn't have something, right, to promote, right, which right. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes, too. yeah. There's the clutch people that come through if there's right, right. a canceled flight or something. Oh, would that happen sometimes? Like Jesse saying, it, would would absolutely, wow. yeah. And it wound up being, for me, I I grew up with, you know, I'm very old, so I grew up seeing comics on Carson, mm-hmm. and I always loved how if you weren't a comic, you didn't know that that was their material. Right. Because they made it seem so conversational. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. and yes. that was the thing that with Conan, he, I loved being on there because I very, I don't think I even ever did a straight stand-up set. I came on there because I was promoting like a TV show. I was on it like I think I was on another NBC show at the time mm-hmm. or whenever you guys were there. And then so I came that way. And so I didn't have to like climb the ropes of doing stand up first and then getting asked to the couch. I went straight to the couch with Conan and Andy and oh. but did my jokes. Right. But I would have them set me up. I always loved that part of it. Of It's such a different way of telling your jokes than right. just straight to the audience of involving this other person and trying to make it conversational was always a challenge and fun. You made it seem incredibly natural. I think that's really hard to do. I know. I think a lot of people don't know that, that that's sort of prepared material. Right. Every time I did it, it was whatever my latest stand-up jokes were. Like every once in a while, there would be something that was made just for the show. But most of it was current bits I was doing that, uh, right. you know, I'd uh, work out with the producer over the phone the day before. And, you know. Yeah. And then Conan finds a way to ask, like, so uh, I heard you got a dog. Right. Yeah. Yes. It was always <laughs> like that. Like, you call yourself a nerd. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Other people do, too, Conan. Here, so, here goes yeah. another 20 minutes. Right. Well, Conan was really the only show I did. Right. I was pretty loyal. Well, I did Fallon once and I did Kimmel, but for different, you know promoting different things but uh right. conan was the one that i went back to a million times so right for me it was always about i want to crush i want to go on there and i want to be you know not the highlight of the show but i want conan to want me back really right, right, you know right. that's the other thing is if you're a dead fish and you're not giving him anything you know he's not going to want you back yeah exactly so you gotta you gotta do it every time you know but it's funny what you said about the preparedness like i think when people watch actors and they wonder why, well, why is that guy not funny? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's not what he does. They, he doesn't write material, yeah. But when a comic goes on, they, it's material. The art of making that conversational, I know a lot of comedians who did stand up over in the performance area, 
and then transferred to the couch later. And it's not as smooth as, you know, it's, it's kind of a, an art form to it, you know. I'm paying you a compliment. It just sort of happened organically for me. Right. The first time I did it, I was like, oh, God, how is this going to work? Right. But, you know, because you're used to just telling your jokes a certain way. And then you have to act because you're sort of presenting them as like, oh, right. I just thought of this off the top of my head. And I guess that the fact that I am kind of multifaceted, that I do both helps you know, helps in that situation. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, I don't know how I do it, honestly, because <laughs> I'm scared every time I go out there. You know, in high school, the last thing I wanted to do was public speaking. And then right. I fell into this job, oh, wow. you know, <laughs> like, because I also didn't want to do anything else. Right, right. So you ran out of options. I've got to talk for a living. Damn it. I was looking at being a DJ. I was looking at doing music reviews. I was oh cool. Those were the things I was into. And then when I started to kind of intern and in, in, uh, was around DJs and saw how really not fun that job is, and you don't just sit around playing your favorite music. That's what I pictured. Right. And once I went through that, I was like, well, I don't want to do that. And then I interviewed bands and realized I didn't want to do that either. Right. I was like, well, I don't want to work for Rolling Stone or Spin. This is terrible. I interviewed Fishbone when I was like 19 or 20 years old. I don't know if mm -hmm. you know that band. Uh, yeah. They're uh, from out of L.A., but they were up in Sacramento where I was going to college. And I came back to my advisor and went, look, I don't have an article here. Oh, no. I don't know what to do. I hate this. <laughs> Now I kind of hate that band. <laughs> oh, no. Just write about how much you hate them. Yeah, if you hate music, go into music journalism. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and, but then right around the same time, my um, my school had um, like a stand-up contest in the quad. So I went and tried stand-up on stage at, a, at a, a bar, a local open mic. Did okay there, then went and won the money at my school quad. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And went, okay, this is... <laughs> I finally found something I can do that I don't hate. Wow, that's so rare that someone is just immediately good at stand-up. That's not usually what you hear. Yeah, well, my first time on stage, I crushed. And then the second time, I ate it, but I liked it. I liked it so much the first time that I was like, well... You remembered the crushing feeling. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. And then I went back to those <laughs> jokes because I had completely rewritten. I wrote a whole new set my second time on stage, right. which is the wrong thing to do. But I was kind of cocky. Like the first time yeah. I was like, no, this is easy. <laughs> it wasn't. I know. You, you did, it's like, oh, I have to do this hundreds of times. Yeah. I, I think that's another thing when you start stand up. You don't even realize, oh, it's it's going to be an everyday job, actually. Hopefully. Right. And then I remember meeting like a, a San Francisco comic, this woman, Sue Murphy. Oh, yeah. Was an older comic and she was right. really smart. And she was like, well, and you're not funny till you've done it 10 years. And I went, oh, man. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like a year in and I was like, no, that's awful. It's going to take nine more years of this Ugh. before I get funny. Ugh. Let's shave a few years off of that. <laughs> right. But then those 10 years go by fast. And I don't think that's a, there's a solid rule for everybody. No. She's no, kind of no, right. different. It does take a while to find yourself on stage, but there's other people. You know, I, I remember seeing Aziz Ansari. He'd only been doing it like maybe two years and he'd already found his voice. Like, it just depends right. on the comic, right. really, you know. Yeah, no, everyone's everyone is different. Um, you know, you're talking about really being into rock music and everything. Have you? Did you ever open for bands? Yes. Uh, uh, well, 
the stuff later in my career were better than the right. the early times. The early experiences were terrible. Uh, <laughs> I opened, I did a full on metal show in Sacramento. Uh, oh my God. Where I had barely any room on stage because there was all this equipment behind me. I also did like a, um, a jazz fusion show at the same club. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds worse than metal. And it was all music nerds. They could not have hated me more. (laughs) And I used to do a joke about how my roommate played the tuba. And so I go into this tuba joke and do the joke and get through it and had an okay set. But then afterwards, a tuba guy, because of course (laughs) there's musicians had an Alan Holzer, and this guy was so mad at me that I went after the tuba. Oh. <laughs> He's waiting for you in the parking lot. <laughs> yeah, you expect people to get, hey, I didn't like what you said about God, right. or I didn't like what you said about politics. Yeah. Not the tuba. You're going to enrage somebody. Were you like, shit, I got to drop that tuba joke. There could be more tuba people. Yeah, that's a heavy instrument. Yeah, I could get seriously hurt. Don't want to yeah. piss off the tuba, guys. Right. Yeah, when I heard you were, you know, you're really into metal music, I was wondering if you opened for metal bands because that seems like mm, not an ideal gig. A tough crowd. <laughs> Even at my level, it's not that fun. Yeah. It, you know, because I like hanging out with the other bands and I know these bands now. Right. And, like there's been experiences where uh, there's a band, a band called Red Fang out of Portland. Right. And they were on the same label as me. And we did a thing together and it it was totally perfect. But then I did this thing with Mastodon where it was, I don't know, do you know the name at all? I do. They're a big band and it was in Georgia. And uh, it was billed as a co-headline thing. We're friends. We were doing like this thing for, it was actually a benefit for a fanzine out of there. You know, I go up before them and people were into it. I'm getting laughs, but there were a couple guys who wanted nothing to do with me. Like, and so that's like 20 minutes of just being flipped off and having ye- dudes yelled the name uh. of the band before. And I've opened oh. for Slayer, which is even oh, worse. God. Oh, my uh, God. I did Slayer in Austin, Texas in front of 10,000 people <gasps> outside. Ouch. And it's also like on a 90 degree day. There were like pockets of dudes just red faced and they hate me so much. They're just, you know, every ounce of them was just into flipping me <laughs> off and just yelling Slayer at me while I'm talking about my cat or, you know, my wife. Yeah. <laughs> it made you yearn for the tuba days. <laughs> and I was even like, dude, I'm here to watch Slayer. Like, I get right. it. I don't want to watch my dumb right. fat ass either. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'd rather be hearing Slayer too. I get it. So, well, now, you know what else? So you've written for a lot of shows, but also you've done something that I think is so cool. You've written uh, comic books and not just comic books. You mentioned it right off the bat. I feel like you kind of helped revive Deadpool. Yeah, yeah. I'll take it. The timing was kind of perfect where we came on the book after it wasn't doing well and uh, and we we rebooted it right. and completely started from a new issue one and then completely like retooled the character. Right. And then uh, right around that time, though, the video game came out and the first movie was being. So it was kind of this had n- not that much to do with us, but just kind of the character just blew up. Right. And the next thing I knew, like the year after I started, he was like the biggest thing at Comic-Cons. I was seeing half the people that were cosplaying were coming as Deadpool. And it was like, wow, how did this happen? And, and I won't take credit for it, right? but but it kind of timed out well. Yeah. And, and uh, we had a great run. We wound up being there. 
I was with Jerry Duggan for three and a half years, and he did another. He was your writing partner. Year and a half without me. Yeah, he was my writing partner. We'd actually met at a comic book store in the 90s at Golden Apple. You met Q. And we've been friends ever since. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> been pals ever since. We wrote a screenplay that never got made, but we turned it into a comic ourselves. It was called The Last Christmas. Uh -huh. Santa Claus fighting uh, zombies after the apocalypse. Oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Why no studios never thrown 150 million at us? I have no idea. That's but. coming. <laughs> no, we need a Christmas action movie and one with zombies. That that seems like a natural. That seems like a no brainer. Uh, I I know. In the year that's about a 20 year old idea at this point. We've been at all these different studios at different times, and that was before we got at Marvel. And so, but that helped us get to Marvel. You know, it was still even though we had my name of like hey, you know, here's this comic coming in to write this character. We still had to, like, do what every writer would have to do. We had to, you know, jump through hoops and show them, like, what we would do the first year, what the story arc was going to be, where we wanted to take the character, what, you know, big things we had planned and that kind of thing. Yeah, you had to kind of prove yourself all over again. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Fluffy bread, fresh tortillas, classic burger buns, and so many carbs. Carb fear is real, but Hero Bread makes healthier versions of the carb-heavy favorites we love the most. We're talking fewer calories, 0 to 2 grams net carbs, 0 grams of sugar, and seriously great taste. Plus more of the dietary fiber and protein you want. No compromise. Don't skip out on your favorites. Just use Hero Bread. Get 10% off your order at Hero.co with code Hero10 at checkout. That's Hero10 at H-E-R-O.co. So we restarted with a new number one. I forget what issue they were at when we came in, but they called it a second volume or a third volume and that kind of thing. Okay. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, so we kind of were given the reins and we were told that, you know, don't fuck it up, right. but <laughs> but go ahead, do what you want. Right. To, you know, here, you know, we, we trust you to a certain extent. It was... It was a scary thing in the beginning because we are fans of comic books, both Jerry and I, and we know how fans can be. And we were like, oh, man, if we yeah. if we do the wrong thing with this character, people are going to hate us. It's, it's like being, who, being handed the Bible and saying, uh, write a sequel to this book. Don't screw it up. Yeah. One of my friends killed Captain America and people wanted him to die. <laughs> oh, oh man. Like, yeah. Another buddy of mine turned the Punisher into Frankenstein. And so now... Cops and military guys hated him because they oh, all love the Punisher. Right. <laughs> so it's like, don't piss off the fans. I wanted to ask Brian about how you got into acting. You've done so much acting. And I know you started as a stand-up and you were wanted, you know, you were a comedy writer. How did the acting thing come about? Oh, any actor listening to this <laughs> is gonna <laughs> hate me. <laughs> Because we'll make something up. I still don't find myself to be that skilled in that area. I feel like uh, I'm pretty limited. I do well in sitcoms because I know punchlines and I feel like. Right. Yeah. And you're a writer. Yeah. And, you know, I could do certain characters and like 
I can play a weird guy or a dumb guy or a really smart guy, and then that's kind of it. <laughs> but, that's a wide range, the, smart and dumb. Yeah, those, those are all but, the guys, right? <laughs> but I fell into it. Like I did not move to. I moved to LA to write. Right. I moved down here. I got a writing job at MTV. I was still. I left my place in San Francisco. I was uh, subletting to a buddy up there. And then with the intention, if the MTV writing gig died, I would go back to San Francisco. But it was 1993, and so comedy was dying. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was. As a stand-up, you couldn't, if you weren't, if you weren't a headliner, yeah. it was going to be hard to make a living. And so me and my pals up there, it was Blaine Kapatch and Patton Oswalt. Mm -hmm. We were all buddies. We all moved down around the same time. Well, I came first. Blaine was subletting my place. And then six months later, he and Patton came down. It was because we all realized the improv had closed in San Francisco. The Holy City Zoo had closed. Like these places that, you know, were legendary and where they right. survived the 70s and the 80s. But in the beginning of the 90s, they couldn't do it. And so we kind of panicked. We were like, we're not headliners yet. We got to do something else. But And we were all leaning towards writing. And then that's when, you know, when the comedy kind of pulled the rug out from under us, it was like, well, let's double down. And so I moved to L.A. permanently and uh, those guys followed right behind and we all just started finding writing, any writing jobs we could. Like, you know, the MTV thing went away and then I wound up like writing a, a pilot for that band Green Jelly that had that hit, that little pig, little pig, like... <laughs> Yeah, and then a, a show for a magician and then all these weird things that right. before Mr. Show came to bed or before I went and did John Stewart too. But right. So with acting, while I'm down here trying to get the writing thing going, uh, my manager got me a spot at the improv and I go and, and do a, a set on Melrose and the casting director comes up to me right after the show and goes, uh, hey, you want to audition tomorrow for Empty Nest? And I was <laughs> like, yeah, I like that show. What do I got to do? And she's like, come in. It's easy. I came in. She was super friendly and just really like, it was my first time looking at a script or looking at sides. She just goes, just read this. I read it. She goes, uh, what are you doing tomorrow? Uh, oh my god oh wow uh oh i don't know i'm just gonna get high and right. fight with my buddies and she's like no no come come here <laughs> <laughs> wow. you're working tomorrow you know and like one day of rehearsal and then we shot like i wasn't even there for like the full five days for empty nest and that was my first sitcom experience and i get there and they had me in with all the extras right. because I was in this crowd scene. But then I had like six lines. Oh, wow. And these extras are freaking out because now I'm talking. And I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Right. I just came here from San Francisco. I just came here to tell fart jokes. Right. I don't know what's right. going on. Like, don't be mad at me. Were they all grilling you? Like, uh... How'd you get this? Yeah. They were. They were. Yeah. And because I didn't know any better, I was hanging with them because that's where I, I, my scene was. So I'm just like, well, I'll just sit here in the in the stands till I have to say my lines. <laughs> They're like, no, we have a trailer for you. They they <laughs> did. They had a chair and all this other stuff for me. But oh, that was wow. my first experience, and and I was like, wow, acting's easy for sure. Like, <laughs> but then you know, of course, there was auditions that I didn't get, and all that you know, the hard work came after. But my initial just moving here and going, wow. Getting on a sitcom was fairly easy. That's great. So did you, were yeah. you, after a little bit, were you like, uh, I better take an acting class? <laughs> I did. Yeah, pretty much within that first year, I took a couple. I took cold reading right. because I realized that that wasn't something I was uh, that strong at. Cold reading a script 
yeah, it's a whole different skill. Yeah, but you need to know that for auditioning. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't always send you the the lines the day before. Right. But uh, you know, and then uh most of the stuff I got though was like from people again bringing up Marsh. Like that was uh just shoot me happened because Marsh McCall and Rob Cohen uh were writers that just shoot me and they knew me. And so this part came up where a nerd had to yell at somebody mm-hmm. and they're like, Oh, we know a guy who's very nerdy right. and he's good he at yelling. Yell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, Let's get Brian Poseidon in here. And then I came and did one and I wound up doing 35 of that or 35 or 40 of just shoot me's. Oh, wow. I was a Mr. Show writer already at that point, but man, and that got me in like mis- writing for that show like every writer in town was watching that show, even though the rest of America wasn't watching it. Right, right. It right. really oh paid God, off yes. really well. Like we got we got cast together. Like um, me, Bob, and David wound up doing news radio, and everybody loves Raymond together. Where because these writers were just like, hey, look at these three guys. Like you know, mm-hmm. going back to Mister Show, I loved both of them, but to me, Bob was a genius. Like David's one of the funniest people I've ever been around. Right, but Bob's like another level like bob is the smartest guy in the room the funniest guy in the room bob kind of took me under his wing and on that show and i feel like i learned a lot from him about writing and i always thought like on that show sure david got the biggest laughs but i was like bob man someday he's gonna find something you know oh both of them are every time i see anything from that show i'm in awe they they were both so brilliant and so and Doing those sketches live, it's it makes to me makes it even more impressive. Right? Yeah, it's just incredible. Uh, but then it made it to to where I couldn't work on any other sketch show ever. Right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it ruined it because I, you know, it's like uh, there's no way. Well, you know, do I want to go work harder? Right. At Saturday Night Live after yeah. that? Right. You know, right. and then That's for true. for something that I might be less proud of. You know, not to, Mm -hmm. you know, right. But our show got started because Bob had an okay experience at Saturday Night Live, but wanted to do his own thing. Yeah. And then did the Ben Stiller show with David, but then and came from Ben Stiller going, that's not what we wanted to do either. This is what we wanted to do. And it was my same sensibility. So I didn't come out of Mr. Show going, now I got to do sketch my way now. Right, 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 right. I'm forever in the Mr. Show school, like because of yeah. they taught me how to write sketch. I feel like there's no other place I could go with it, you know, yeah, other than yeah. continue to write with them, do with Bob and David, and mm-hmm. hopefully we get to do more. I've been talking with Bob recently, and, you know, we were just talking about sketch ideas, and we both miss it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So hopefully that happens again. But writing with anybody else, that kind of comedy, I mean, I can work on a sitcom, I can work on animation with other people, but right. unless I ran it, and but I would still wind up using those guys. Like I would probably bring those guys to be in sketches. I would try to hire somebody like Paul F. to write it with me. And Paul F. Tompkins. I would still want that sensibility. Yeah, yeah. I would still want those people. Yeah, he's he's hilarious. I mean, you look at the writers and the performers on that show, and it's just an amazing collection of really funny people. A bunch of misfits <laughs> that, <laughs> that all fell together. Yep, yep. Now it's it's a comedy classic. It is, especially for comedy writers, yeah. like you said. Because that's a fine needle to thread where you're making a show that the greater public can laugh at, but also is going to be revered by your peers. Right. But when you're making it, you don't know that. But yeah. No. But to a certain extent, I did because I 
didn't write on the first episode or the first season right. where those guys had written the first four episodes by themselves. So when I came in on the second season, I came in as a fan and came in and going, this is like our generation's SCTV. Right, right. We may not be as big or as mainstream as SNL, but we're yeah. going to be like doing the funniest, smartest stuff out there, you know? Yeah, SCTV still holds up. We can't, oh my God, we can't get into SCTV right now. That's a whole nother <laughs> giant discussion. <laughs> We should ask Brian, though, because you just put out a full music album, Grandpa Metal. Yes. Uh, it's a full comedy metal record. It yeah. took seven years to make it almost. Wow. Yeah. But I'll kind of take as long as, as people will let me. My book took me almost a year to write. The album came out in February. Uh, and we were starting production in March on these two videos. Uh, and so one, we finally finished because we did it, uh, you know, social distancing way. We did it right. over Zoom. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, that came out. Grandpa Metal came out last month, the the single. It's really about, it's specifically after I go after Scott Ian, all the jokes are like old man jokes. But it's really about guys my age that are still into this style of music, right. but then are stuck in the 80s that won't listen to new music, right. won't listen to new <laughs> versions of heavy metal. They only like Maiden and Metallica and the stuff that we all... In the good old days. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Kind of this crusty, get off my lawn <laughs> heavy metal thing. I saw that you, have, you do a cover of AHA's Take On Me, a metal cover. So I guess that one escaped criticism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it came from doing karaoke over the years. And whenever I've done karaoke, it's not my favorite thing to do. But when I've done it, I always do it metal style. I'll just yell everything <laughs> right, right. and make everything metal. Easier to hit the high notes that way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you're doing a live show soon, right? Yeah. My first. That's great. My first since, since this went down. I haven't been on stage since the first week of March. So, uh, yeah. Where, where is it? How are you doing it? I'm recording it here, and it's people buy tickets through RushTix.com. Uh, my buddy uh, that's opening for me, uh, Johnny Taylor, he's out of Sacramento. He'll do like 15 minutes. But it's September 19th, and then we're uh, going to have a Zoom uh, kind of hangout afterwards where people can uh, – I'm trying to make it as much like a green room experience as possible. Oh, where cool. That's a cool idea. Yeah, and if people pay extra, we can chat. Right. There's different levels to it, but it's the first time doing it. That's great. Well, we have to wrap up, and we always like to end by asking for a piece of advice. You have such a varied career so far. If you have any advice to give people who are interested in any of the fields we discuss, <laughs> blast away. Writer, stand-up, actor, musician. <laughs> well, the best advice I got in stand-up was, you know, be yourself. And then the one that I've repeated to other stand-ups is anything you get you want to get good at, you have to really commit to it. And it's it's kind of obvious, but not everybody thinks of it. But I, I think if you want to write jokes, if you want to act, if you want to do stand-up, whatever, you have to look at it like any other thing you want to get good at. If you want to get good at guitar, you have to nerd out and just spend several years just sitting in your room, you know, figuring that out. And th that's not how you get good at comedy, but you got to figure that out. You got to figure out how to get better at it. How, to, how do you spend that time just committing to it and, and getting better and stretching? Yeah. Yeah. And it is, it can be analogous to that. I mean, both the practice thing and also even with comedy, like 
There's nothing wrong with watching a ton of comedy, you know, reading books, like any sort of nerding out. Well, you don't get better at anything by half-assing. Yeah. You get better at by committing and just right. and trying, actually making the effort. That's the only way you get better at anything. Yeah. Getting to the point where you're learning to be yourself comes from actually having to do it a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The stage time, yeah. Right. Like, you can't take a comedy lesson. Right. Hey, uh, how do I be Brian from right, Shane? Right, right. Like, yeah. you got to figure that out. Thank you so much, Brian. Yeah, it was great chatting. This is awesome. Yeah, nice talking to both of you. Thanks. Yeah, this was really fun. Yes, good luck with the show. September 19th. Say hi to the big guy. Will do. <laughs> we will. <laughs> And that was Brian Posehn. Thanks, Brian. The live show that we mentioned, Brian Posehn Live, An Evening with Grandpa Metal, is going to be live streaming on Saturday, September 19th, this Saturday at 7 p.m. Pacific. Yeah, so check that out. Yeah, now you've got plans for Saturday night. And you get to see a live show. It's live, which... I know. When's the last time you saw a live show? Thank God we're not live. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? We're going to live dangerously right now and read a fan question and try to answer that in real time. Here it is. Hi, Mike and Jesse. How do you write comedy? Yikes. Great question. (laughs) Where do you get your ideas from? Are either of you more of a, quote, improv writer through spoken word? Or are you the types that write singularly? Just curious about each of your comedy writing processes. Love the podcast. (laughs) E-hugs from Kevin Barbie. Okay, thanks, Kevin. Wow. How do you write comedy? I was hoping Kevin would, (laughs) as a PS go, here's the answer. Thank God. Yeah, I mean, I probably do a combination of these two things. Just within regular conversations, a lot of times, something funny will happen. I'll say something really funny that'll make the other person laugh. And then I'll think, (laughs) yes, exactly. Just like that. And then I'll think, oh, maybe there's a nugget of an idea there. And how can I flesh that out into a actual live sketch? Mm -hmm. Or then other times I'll have no inspiration and I'll just have to sit down with a deadline and a list of premises and force myself to squeeze something out. A deadline is incredibly helpful, I find. It's the key to everything. Yes, nothing like the idea of what I like to call getting in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't produce stuff, I've got to come up with something. Yeah, I mean, we're very shame motivated here, I think. Oh my God, yes. Very creative four minutes before a writer's meeting. (laughs) But honestly, sometimes I think that that is how you start. You just have to put a pen to paper and then you can edit it and revise it and make it better. Right. But you have to put something down to even have anything to revise. Sure. You have to, you know, censor yourself or or try to edit your ideas sometimes. But it's it's funny. Sometimes the idea you think, because they get read out loud in a room of people, sometimes the idea or pitch you think everyone's going to love gets stony silence. And then the thing you almost erased because you 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 thought you were going to get fired for putting it on paper. Everyone loves. <laughs> totally. Yeah, that happens all the time. Or sometimes it's total <laughs> silence to the whole sheet of ideas. That's always a great, that's a great thing. <laughs> I love being in a room with people. And obviously I think on our show, we're all really comfortable with each other. So even if you say something in the room and it, no one laughs at it, you don't, 
feel like you want to die. I just assume they didn't hear it because of Zoom. (laughs) That's that's a good approach. Oh, my God. No, but it's it's true. We're all comfortable and people just kind of say whatever comes to their minds. Right. And you never know where inspiration is going to come from. Like, I actually Zoomed in a couple weeks ago when I was in the middle of a hike. Right. In uh, Yosemite. Yeah. And then Jose came up with an idea based on that, which I thought was so fun. Yes, one of our writers. So that made me feel useful (laughs) that I inspired Jose. And you kind of zoomed in from Yosemite almost as a kind of a joke. Like you literally just like to show you could do it, but you were only on for like three or four minutes. Yeah. And it was super productive. I know. Yeah, it's great. You never know where inspiration is going to come from. So it's good to not shut down any potential sources. Right. Most people who start on a show that is already existing, it's really nerve wracking to join a group that already exists and hangs out with each other. Oh, yeah. And get up to that comfort level. But, you know, you just kind of lay low a little bit in the beginning, maybe, and sense the temperature, and then you can dive in, hopefully. Yeah, that's the advice I hear a lot from different writers' rooms, is to kind of get the lay of the land first before you have to feel like you have to speak up all the time. Right, right, right. Thank you very much, Kevin, for that question. Thank you. Thanks, Kevin. And if anyone else uh, has questions for us of the writing or showmaking variety, you can email us at insideconanpod at gmail.com. You could also leave a voicemail. Uh, uh, I love yeah. saying the number. So you could say the number. <laughs> 323-209-5303. Leave a message. And that's our show. See you next week. We like you. Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast, is hosted by Mike Sweeney and me, Jesse Gaskell. Produced by Jen Samples. Engineered and mixed by Will Beckton. Supervising producers are Kevin Bartelt and Aaron Blayart. Executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco. And Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Earwolf. Thanks to Jimmy Vivino for our theme music and interstitials. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And of course, please subscribe and tell a friend to listen to Inside Conan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or whatever platform you like best. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.